0: Well, sir, I feel like this is, uh, this was like an, inevi- an inevitable meeting of minds. Um. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was thinking, hold on, let me just verify that I'm recording because it's not looking normal. Are you recording on your side? I am recording on my side, but okay. usually if it doesn't look like I expect it to look, that means it's not recording, even though it says it is.
0: Okay. But is. I'm going to, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, we can, it's all good, Chris
1: have you ever lost a show you have i remember listening to one where you missed the first 30 minutes or something
0: (laughs) so you've been there that's funny man
1: and they were all razzing you about it that was that was funny actually that recent one i did with daryl becker yeah i didn't lose it well i mean it's it's kevin's show so he he records and i usually record too and mine was acting up so i said kevin i'm like you know, normally we both record, like I said. But I'm like, "Well, you're recording, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm recording." I'm like, "Okay, mine's not recording, so we're going to count on you." Well, we finished the show, and the file's corrupt. I mean, it like recorded and, and had a file, but it was corrupt. <laughs> so we actually gross. that was yeah the site that that was actually the second show with Daryl, which is a bummer because like I thought the first one was better.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I've uh, I've actually when I first tried to record Daryl, man, like I had a lot of Skype issues the first two episodes I did with Daryl. And it got to the point where he had to, like, my thing wasn't recording right, and I was using this other software back in the day because I was, I was broke and I couldn't afford this software. And mm-hmm. um, so, but the second time I got him, man, that last one went really well. I was really happy. Uh, the Diamond Age? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, that's a good book, man. Gino Denning told me to check it out because of, uh, of Daryl. So, oh, geez. really? Yeah. Really? Gene said all this really nice stuff about Daryl. And I was like, yeah, I should get him back on the show. Um, And uh, I'm glad that I did, man, because him and I, like, uh, we've had the opportunity to just kind of connect. I don't know, man. This whole internet world is super cool. You get to meet all these cool people from, like, that you'd normally never get to meet. And it's just like, I mean, like, the the similarities between you and I, even though you're a little bit older, it was just kind of funny. You're like, oh, man, I'm from Ohio. And then I, like, went to look, and I'm like, holy shit, we went to the same school. Like, (laughs) we <laughs> went to the same university and didn't even realize it.
1: Right, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I hear you. I mean, like Gino Denning. I mean, this guy is, I don't know, I think he's in his 60s. Yeah,
0: he's uh, Wait, 65, I think, or 66.
1: I mean, he's a cool cat to just hang out and you can talk for hours with Gene. He will talk your ear off. Yeah, and it's was- like, when is a guy like us just going to me? run into like some 60-year-old dude and start having a conversation like that? Normally that's just not going to happen. Yeah.
0: Like, dude, can you please like, I talked to him both times I record with Gene. I think I talked to him like, cumulatively for like six hours. I I think I recorded like three hours worth. And then, uh, like, and I wish I would have recorded like, I mean, like our conversation afterward would have been a good podcast, but it was like, it was just cool because it was just our conversation though. Like, it was like, I was kind of happy that like, I really got to connect with him And, um, yeah, man. He pointed me in a bunch of directions, man. It was it was kind of cool, man. It was like, uh, it's like, man. I hope I'm like Gene when I'm his age. And he was like, man, my goal is <laughs> just to be a happy old man. And I was like, what a honorable goal. Because in reality, like, if you're a happy old man, then you can look back on your life and realize, yeah, I, you know, I did everything I wanted to do, or I, I don't have any regrets, or I don't. And I was like, man, you know, it's so simple, but it encompasses so much. So. Um, but uh, yeah, man. So, is it recording? Is it working? What do you think? We are recording.
1: We're recording. I'm using. I'm using Pamela. I finally gave up on MP3 Skype recorder. So I, I busted yeah. out the Pamela. On, yeah. So
0: do, you use, uh, do you use Do you use Windows then when you record?
1: I do. I don't have any Mac machines, so
0: yeah. Are you like I? I didn't until I bought this this Mac MacBook Pro, and then I didn't even use it until. Well, I bought it because I had this this goal that I want, I thought I wanted to be a DJ. And then like, and then like Mm. two years later, I was like, Oh, I could be a podcaster. But it was more of a, like, this is actually something I want to do. Not like, um, I don't know, man. I, I used to set a lot of goals and I never actually go after them. And Mm. then when I, uh, I came to this, this spot in my life where I was supposed to start this job and then I didn't, and it was really scary. And then, um, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to, Cash out my four hundred and one k and just invest in me and just take some time off and figure out you know what am I really doing here I've just been spinning my wheels for the past five years so now like I started the podcast and and I mean if you if you go back and listen you'll see that there it, it it definitely changes over time because like I didn't know what I was doing and I, I mean, a lot of times I still <laughs> right. don't. Like, I still don't know what I'm doing, and um, it was it was interesting for yours, though, man, because so when I was first going to have Jan Irvin on, I was, like, listening to Jan because I was like, man, let me check out Jan, like, outside of Gnostic Media, and so I started, like, really kind of, like, diving deep into Jan, and then I found him on Choice Conversations, and I'm like, man, this is an interesting podcast. I'm like, holy cow, they've had Gino Denning on, they've had all these cool guests on, and then uh, I went down, and I listened to Yan, and it was like, hey, this is Two Beers with Steve. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? So, <laughs> right. Because Steve is like – he still comes on here and there. So, like, how did that <laughs> – so I guess my question is how did that come about? Like, how did – um, what made Steve say, you know what, I'm 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 going to give this up? And what, like, made you be like, cool, I'm going to take it over? Like, were you guys friends, or how did that
1: Yeah, work? Yeah, that's a really good story. So – Steve, speaking of a podcast that changed over time, uh, I mean it's changed probably even more than you realize if you haven't been following it from the beginning. I mean, in one of Steve's first episodes, he apparently did a show on making the case for universal health care. Wow. <laughs> so by, by the time he passed it off to me, it was an anarchist, you know. So yeah. I'm like that's how far it came. Yeah. But so, anyways, I started listening to his show. I actually got hooked into it from. Oh, Chris Martinson, uh the Crash Course. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Crash Course, but um Steve he a number of people from that that were uh you know, had watched the, the Crash Course and were talking in the, the Chris Martinson's forum decided to do a podcast together. Steve led it. And so he's got it in the beginning, it's kind of a round table more, you know, the first few shows and then he, he since he was the leader, some of the other people dropped off, and he would, had various guests on and the like. And, and somewhere in there, I became a listener, and I started. I contacted him with just I don't even remember what it was about, just you know, commenting on one of his shows or something like that. And we started having these email discussions. And at one point, he said, "You know, you should just come on the show. We have good discussions and email. Well, you should just come on and be a guest sometime." So he first, I was on Two Beers with Steve as a guest. Yeah and at some, you know we kept kept talking and i think at one point he actually came to north carolina he lives in illinois okay he came in, he came to north carolina to volunteer for bj lawson's campaign now bj lawson is like the north carolina version of ron paul okay and a really good cat i um i had actually was a volunteer for him as well and he was a guest on two beers with steve and the like and he just never got elected though but he was you know very similar he was definitely he was a libertarian running as a republican you know just like Ron Paul yeah a small government you know kind of guy and uh steve came down to get his hands dirty and volunteer on the campaign trail and all of that and so we met up while he was down here but then he asked me he's like you should um you know you should be a co-host why don't you come on and we'll do it together i think that would work better so we co-hosted several shows together, and then at one point he just got so busy with life that he's like, you know what, I really don't have the time to do it. And he's like, if you want the show, it's yours. You know, feel free to name it whatever you want. You know, so that's how choice came- conversations came about. That's and interesting, it was interesting, man. Yeah, and it was super awesome because I inherited an audience, and. You know everything was set up, and um, I mean, Steve was—it was a great way to get going. I know most people when they start off podcasting, it's like they've got three friends listening to them. That, that, you know. Yeah. So I think, that was uh, kind of cool.
0: My download stats for week one are zero, and I think, <laughs> I think week two is like five. And I don't really pay attention that much anymore. Like sometimes I do, and it's kind of like a you know, it's always an ego thing whenever I do look at downloads. But it's like, man. It would be cool to connect with these people or I hope like these people enjoy the content I'm putting out. And it's like this weird like – I don't know. It's still kind of weird what – like I don't like what we do as podcasters. Like it's such a weird – it's a weird cool thing. Like but it's definitely changed me to my core. Like it's definitely like – like it's like I feel like – I don't know if you felt like this – But I felt like I used to just wear people out about my views and opinions about things Mm. because I wanted to talk to somebody about them. And then once I had like my podcast and I kind of expressed myself on it, I didn't feel like I need to talk about that stuff anymore. So now like when I hang out with people, I listen a lot more instead of like talking or trying to talk about or try to dominate a conversation and try to talk about the things that I'm interested in, which I always used to do. And I'm sure I just used to wear people out, and um, sure. And now it's like, uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, can you relate to that at all? Or
1: well, I mean, I've come so far since <laughs> who I was, uh, going back to uh, 2008 and prior. 2008 was like when I hit rock bottom and my life turned. And I'm not the same person at all since then. But yeah, who I was before that, who I am now. Yeah, I, I had a friend tell me. He's like, yeah, back, you know, what you were, you know, before this turn, he said there was a whole bunch coming out and not much getting back in <laughs> and like, I mean, and I just had to laugh because it was so true. I mean, I know that, you know, I was just concerned with telling people what I thought, you know, and it, I don't know. It wasn't necessarily, I kind of turned from that before I got into podcasting, but I, I do see what you mean though, because you get in these conversations with these people and you're interviewing them and they're, they have a lot of really interesting things to say that you want to hear. And so, I mean, part of it as a podcaster is to try to get them to talk and just sit back and listen and ask good questions and the like. So in that regard, it's really good training for communicating with people and learning about what other people have to say, you know, cause you already know what you have to say. Yeah. So you're not learning Jack if you're doing all the talking. So it it's kind of gives you skills to increase your own knowledge by connecting with people, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely been a, a value to me. I mean, I would say probably the biggest thing for me is just getting to meet these great people. You know, yeah. I've got a lot of friendships now with people. I mean, I talk to Steve pretty regularly. I uh, talk to Wes Bertrand all the time, and I, you know, I'm not talking about on podcasts. I mean, just you know, on the phone. Yeah. And you know, none of these people live anywhere near me, <laughs> but are now some of my closest friends. You know, Absolutely. and. Yeah. Daryl Becker, like you had on, he's a really great guy. I've talked to him, you know, many times on the phone and, and I just would never have these opportunities that it, but now it's like people are contacting me. You know, in the beginning it was like, I would contact them. Hey, you want to come on my, on my show? Now I'm getting people contacting me and I'm like, Oh my God, that person was awesome. You know I mean? I just had, um, hun- I can't, remember. I'm drawing a blank on her name, Hunter Clark. She's got a hyphenated last name, one of those married women. <laughs> Oh, but uh, I'm Feel sorry, nice. Hunter. I'm gonna look it up so I get your name right. But she just contacted me, and I had no idea about her content. She had her own podcast, and I went and checked it out. And I'm like, "Oh, this chick is really cool," you know. And I uh, and I'm I'm digging her podcast and like talking to her. She was just like a really positive and fun person to talk to. Her name is Hunter Clark Fields, by the way. Okay. Website's hunteryoga.com, but you know, it's just a, an, an example that. I would have probably never stumbled upon her website if she hadn't contacted me, yeah. you know, and these, and, and these other people that I've con that I've contacted, if I didn't have my own podcast, I probably wouldn't have never had the chance to talk to them. I mean, maybe exchange some emails, you know, but that's at, at best, that's probably it, you know? So Absolutely. it's been a really great opportunity.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting, man. Like, uh, I mean, like I was happy, because uh, Facebook recommended you as my friend. And I knew it was like one of those things. I was like, man, sometimes someday I'm going to get this dude on the podcast. Like, once I like it, it's just kind of one of those things. Like, man, that's a good guest in the future. And then uh, I hit you up and you're like, oh, man, you're from Ohio. And you start blowing me up about Ohio State. And i was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm right. like, like, man, you're excited about the season? I'm like, yeah, kind of, man. I mean, I kind of thought, like, I used to be really into OSU, but like, I don't know like when I lived when I lived in Toledo I was super into it and I think it was just cuz I liked trolling Michigan fans talking <laughs> right? shit to them and like I remember the year that we lost to Florida like when OSU and Michigan was undefeated like I talked so much shit and it was like I was working uh I was still in like corporate fitness and it was like my uh I had this internship at uh this this headquarters of this corporation in Toledo And I just remember talking so much shit, and I, like, was so confident because I'd watched all the OSU games. I was like, dude, Michigan can't beat us. Like, look, they're a good team, but Lloyd Carr can't beat Jim Trussell anymore. That one time happened, you know, three years ago. It's never going to happen again. And I would just, like, just dig into them. And I don't know what happened. Like, I think, like, when I started working, I had to work Saturdays, and I couldn't catch the games. And then, um, I don't know. I'm just, like, then I moved back to Columbus and, like, Man, OSU fans in Columbus just can, like, wear me out. Like, I love Mm. our mutual friend, Andy Evans, because Andy Evans is so passionate about talking about college football that, like, I want to give a shit about college football. Like, (laughs) uh, like, last year, like, I was like, come on, Andy, let's do this. We'll do these segments. Like, I think this is a good idea, and let's get it going, and then you can kind of take it over. And, like, and so Andy had been wanting to record me. I'm like, man, I just can't. I can't care about college football enough for an hour on a podcast anymore. <laughs> right, and then you're you're hitting me up. I'm like, oh, dude, you've got to talk to my friend Andy Evans, and I added him in the chat. And when you guys start doing podcasts, I'm like, awesome, this is great. Um, so and they're good podcasts too, man. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. And it's just uh, like that's kind of like the world we live in now, man. It's like, oh, we have a common interest. Oh man, I know this guy. You guys would have a great conversation about this. Like it's yeah. such a, it's such a cool thing.
1: Yeah. Andy, he's got a great radio voice. <laughs> it's good to have him as a co-host cause Dude, he's got an awesome radio voice. Isn't
0: he like, he's so talented, man. Like Andy, uh, well, here we go. Like his dad actually, um, did like, uh, announcing for like, uh, like, on I think on O and N, like some like high school basketball games and stuff like that. Like his dad is just like Andy. It's pretty funny, but, uh. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's like, and even from like college sports to like to like voluntarism, man. Like, it's it's like uh, like I wasn't an anarchist when I first started my podcast. I was like a hardcore libertarian, but I voted, and I was like voting is important and all this. And now it's like, <laughs> man, it's just bullshit. <laughs> like, right. I might vote on issues still. I haven't decided. Like, I th- I think I will, but like, I mean, man, like I look at like the political affairs in Ohio now. We got. John Kasich, who really thinks he's going to be the next president. Um, And then you got uh, Ed Fitzgerald, who uh, his own party pretty much just stopped backing him because they found out he drove illegally without a license for 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, man, I was driving without a license for a while because I had a DUI and I couldn't afford it. Like, I mean, it's not a big deal to me, but man, in politics, it's such a big deal. And it's just like, this is just nonsense. I don't even care. Like. None of these good guys are going to make a difference, but, anyways, Chris, I digress. I'm just going on these rants. I got this cool guest on, and I'm talking about stupid Ohio politics.
1: No, no. I mean, we definitely could go into politics. That would be a good discussion to have. I do vote. I go in and I do the. I have the option for Libertarian ticket, yeah. so I check Libertarian ticket, and then I look for bonds. Vote no on bonds. I go home. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, <laughs> I know none of those libertarians ever get elected, but it's just a, a statement for me. And then yeah. and I actually knew the woman who was running for governor for she was you know, actually on the ticket. I mean her personally last year, so um, or not last year, but um, uh, what was it, 2012? So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to go vote for her. So, yeah. but then, um. Yeah, but, I mean, voting no on bonds, I mean, at the, the local elections, it can actually come down to a vote or two. I mean, at the federal level, it pretty much doesn't, you know, but it's small enough where, and, and so, if, if like, if, if I can stop that bond from going through, <laughs> that's a little less taxes I got to pay, yeah. so.
0: I was thinking about that, like, going in, voting down levies, voting down a bunch of stuff, like, I I don't, uh, you know, like, screw the government, like, I'm going to vote no on everything, but, uh yeah, I don't know. Like when election time comes again, I'll I'll probably I don't know, we'll see what happens. The last uh around the last time I went and uh and voted, I got interviewed and uh because I voted for Ron Paul and these people immediately like were trying it was like during the Republican primary and well I voted for the president too, I voted for Gary Johnson, but like uh um I remember they asked me, it was really weird. They were like, Okay. Like one guy was really cool. And I think he was like this journalist and he's trying to find his way. He was working for like the Wall Street Journal, but he was out of Chicago. And I should really – man, I should really reach out to that guy and try to just see how he's doing. But um, he was a really cool guy. And then um, this lady immediately said, why didn't you vote for Romney? Too rich? Too this? Like just kind of like trying to put ideas in my head. I'm like, no, (laughs) not at all. Too impersonable? He's a robot? I'm like, Mitt Romney is just like – he's." Yeah, I mean, he's just a robot. I mean, like his—he's so fake and phony. Like, he's got family in Mexico that he doesn't even talk about. Like, I mean, it's just like I—like I, I, I just kind of like was just kind of. I mean, that's kind of like I was just kind of like hitting her with that stuff. But uh, it was interesting. Like, did you ever join the Libertarian Party? Like, buy a membership from them or anything?
1: No, no. I'm I'm still listed on my voter registration as being a Republican, which yeah. means that I, c- I can then vote in the Republican primaries. Yeah. So if, if we do get a candidate like a, a Ron Paul, you know, B.J. Lawson, I could then vote so that he's the Republican on the ticket. So I thought about changing it to Libertarian or to Independent, but because that would be more accurate. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, eh, this actually, if, if there's going to be a Libertarian that runs under another party, it's going to be Republican. It's not going to be Democrat. So yeah. this gives me an opportunity to to vote in the primaries if I so desire for somebody like that. So maybe BJ will try again at some point. I don't know. He's, he did, he's not running this year, but yeah, here's my whole take on that. So, you know, I mean, first of all, I think it's pretty clear, you know, we don't have capitalism or, I mean, I guess you could maybe call it crony capitalism, but I would call what's the United States has as being fascism. You know, it's the, the merger of, of, uh, Biz of, of corporations with government or some people call it corporatism. You know, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, the laws are actually written by the lobbyists and then they pay the politicians to pass them without even reading them. <laughs> you know, considering the lobbyist is that is corporations. That is the, the rich, the the richest 1% of the 1%, you know, are the people that control all the lobbyists, you know, it's pretty clear that they're who's pulling the strings of the government. Right. So, then you got the Republicans and the Democrats and they actually, the way they, they hold sway in the United States is they have some pretty convincing arguments. So here's what that looks like. So the Republicans, they say, you know what? Uh, The problem is government. We need to get government out of the way of business. And you know what? They're half right. They're half right. The problem is government. But then so it sounds convincing. So you're like, yeah, man, you're right. You know, get these regulations out of there, or whatever. And then you look at what it is they, the, how they get government out of the way of business is they write business-friendly laws. When you read these laws, what they're doing is they're really cementing corporations. They're they're not when they say business, they're going to help out business. What they really mean is they're going to help out corporations, and they're going to help out corporations to have a stranglehold to um, n- knock out competition from the little guys so it's it's really not helping out business in general it's hurting the little businesses but the the corporations the ones that are paying the lobbyists it's helping them to keep keep the status quo right so they're half right. The problem is government, but then how they fix it is you know by corporations which we've already established that corporations are who are controlling the government anyway so but that that argument that yeah we're going to get out of the way and help business is, is convincing because it's it's half right. Now on the other side you got the Democrats. The Democrats, they're also half right. They say, "You know what the problem is? It's these evil corporations and we as government have to step in there and protect you from it." Well, they're half right. Yeah, the corporations are doing a lot of harm to the standard living of of many Americans in the United States. But the way that they solve the problem is more co- more power to government. Well, that's not the right answer either because who controls the government the corporations do so if you're giving government more power you're giving more power to the corporations and so you know they have they both have these arguments that sound like diametric opposites you know and if you're if you're on one side of the the argument you know it sounds really compelling to you and if you're on the other side of the argument you know the other party sounds really compelling to you but when you put it together that the corporation is actually the puppet master of the government you realize that you know they both are no matter who 's in there you 're either giving power to the government, which is the tool of the corporations or you're giving power to the corporations I mean, either way you 're just maintaining the status quo and you know to the detriment of the little guy so
0: absolutely man i I saw this really interesting uh picture it was on uh i don 't know if you ever read zero hedge um i do yeah so it was on it was on zero hedge and it was like the it was like a um a what is it like a, when the two circles and there's two different opposing views and one in the middle. And it was like the, the Venn
1: diagram. And, isn't that that?
0: Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I could explain, I could describe it. <laughs> if you said, I'd right, be like, Oh, uh, sure. that That's that probably, yeah, that's what it, but anyways. Um, yeah. It's like, uh, so the one side was occupy and the other side was the tea party and it showed exactly what you were saying in the, in the middle, what's really happening. And it kind of like put it all together It's like, man, only if the Tea Party and the Occupy movement could really communicate. Because I remember, like, um, when the Tea Party thing first came around, like, it was very much so libertarian motivated. And then it just turned into, like, this neocon hybrid libertarian thing. And it's like, it was like a... Jesse Ventura's theory was: Deck Army went in there and dumped a bunch of money, and it's like, okay, well maybe Jesse, and then uh, <laughs> and then Occupy came about, and then the the other side was like, oh, that's George Soros just dumping money. It's like, I don't really think so, but but okay, and like it's just kind of like a weird thing. Like, there's a lot of pissed off people, and it like it still managed to get sucked into like. Republican and Democrat debates. And it's like the thing is like what's interesting though is like with Democrats is like Republicans are pretty um like I don't like Republicans. Like I'm not gonna pretend like you know I'm like a, a fan, but they are You're honest down. about they You're are not
1: down. killing Muslims.
0: Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean like but they're <laughs> they're at least honest with their intentions. Like they're at least honest, like, hey, we want to kill Muslims. Uh we think poor people suck. Uh, we want to all, we're all going to pretend like we have money and that we're rich. And most of us are just want to be Republicans. We see these people on TV. So we're going to act like we're Republicans. We're going to brag about this big house we just bought or this new car that we just have. But we're want to be Republicans. You know, we're Republican. We're, you know, I want those tax breaks because they're going to affect me. Because even though I'm upper middle class, I think I'm in the top 1% or whatever. And then there's like, uh... Then there's Democrats, and Democrats, like, the funniest thing about Democrats is they pretend to be for civil liberties. They pretend whenever, like, their president's in office and he's in war, they pretend like that's not going on. Like, everything that they criticized George Bush for, Obama has done the same thing. Oh, yeah. Except worse. Like, he's been way worse because he's actually killed American citizens um, I mean like he 's really
1: oh, yeah, way worse on civil liberties terrible
0: yeah, and that 's the funny thing and and so then you go to like the election with Mitt Romney and uh, and uh, Obama, and what do Republicans talk about to criticize Obama? pretty much just ad hominem attacks they don 't actually like go after his politics it 's like there 's never been a president more secretive is this birth certificate even real is, you know, I don't know what's going on. And like, I'd be on Facebook and I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And then there'd be like Democrats saying the same thing. And I remember, um, man, I'd love to have this guy in the podcast. He's uh, a, he's a writer for uh, Reason Magazine. And he posted this article. Like, I don't understand why the the Republicans just aren't attacking Obama for his violation of civil liberties, especially because he's, a so-called constitutional attorney and all this other stuff. And they they listed off about 73 things about how he's violated civil liberties, um, how he killed that kid. And like just going from like killing the American citizen, 14 year old kid to uh, prosecuting people for trading raw milk and having machine guns come at him, And there's like just all this shit. And it's just like, and it's just like, man, like, you guys have ammo on each other and neither of you use it. It's just an act. Like it really is. Like one thing Jesse Ventura said that always stuck out, it really is the Washington Wrestling Federation. It really, it's just a show. And the more you pay attention to it, it, like it forces you to like, it sucks you in. And like, that's, so that's like, that's, that's like kind of my, um, it's kind of like my conflict with voting at this point. Cause it's like, man, like, when I pay – well, for voting for a politician, I would say. Like, I don't – like, issues I think I'm still going to vote for. But, like, voting for a politician, man, like, that's – um, to me, it's like, you know – I mean, man, like, the whole Ron Paul thing, like, I was such a big Ron Paul fan. And Ron Paul, like, really started something. He really did. But then, like, suing the people at RonPaul.com – and I get that he's just a human, but it's like, man, he filed the suit through – a UN organization. And it's just like, man, you, you talk about bringing down this organization. So one would think that you were, you'd be against using it. Um, so it was just kind of like that contradiction kind of rubbed me wrong. Um, but then at, at the same time, man, it's just a guy like people, just because people have great ideas and they say great things doesn't mean that they're like perfect. And that's like something else. Like, like the whole recent thing with Stefan Molyneux, like using the copyright infringement which is pretty much intellectual property like that doesn't take away from Stefan molyneux still having great ideas or saying great things or inspiring people you know what i mean so i kind of like i kind of i kind of like ride this this like uh walk this tightrope and i like try to weigh both sides out and not try not to be too critical even though like i'm just very much so man a very like I immediately want to psychoanalyze something or I immediately want to try to internalize something and make sense of it. Like, Do you kind of feel yourself in the same situation or the same – having similar conflicts?
1: Well, I, I hear what you're saying about voting for politicians. They – the only reason I'm voting for the libertarians really is just that – I know they're not going to win. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know?
0: yeah, I probably would still vote for them. Honestly, if I go, if I go there, I'm just going to choose independent. Like, yep, yep. I'm just going to fill up this independent votes.
1: I mean, it's kind of like voting and saying "fuck you."
0: Yeah, that's because know? everybody
1: knows that you're throwing your vote away. <laughs> yeah. You know, why so you throw that's why. vote
0: away? Chris. That's your freedom to complain. Yeah, man. I <laughs> You know, when I think about that, this is how wishy-washy I am with that conflict. When I think about it, man, if I'm in there, I'm like, I'm going to troll the fuck out of these two Republicans and Democrats because, you know, they look at the Green Party and the Libertarian Party and they're like, those are my votes. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. right. They're so egocentric. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, going back to your thing with uh, Obama and uh, like civil liberties and all that. I mean, here's the thing that is really interesting, right? Democrats are supposed to be for civil liberties. So they're the ones that can most easily get away with crushing civil liberties because they can always go back to the rhetoric. What are you talking about? We're the civil liberties party. Yeah. And that's historically has been the case that Democrats have been awful versus civil liberties. But because of their rhetoric is about protecting them, they get away with it. Now, the funny thing is about that. Republicans, their rhetoric is we're the small government party. So what? What they they really get away with growing the government because their rhetoric's there, and when um when when they're growing the government, there's not this big fight on them to 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 not do that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, they, they've got the support of their party, and then also the Democrats are the big government party as well. You know, their their rhetoric is we're big government, so they get their. So if a, if a Republican comes in and says. He maybe he doesn't say it, but he's trying to grow government. He has a real easy time just growing the shit out of government. It's just real easy to pass it through. If a Democrat comes through, because the Republicans, this is the reason why they're not attacking Obama, is because they hate civil liberties. They want to crush every liberty you have. They want the, the NSA, you know, keeping track of, you know, how many times you wipe, you know? they. Uh, so if the, you get a Democrat in there who is going to take away civil liberties. They're going to have a real easy time because anybody in their party in Congress is just going to support them. And then the Republicans are already there with, yeah, screw civil liberties, take that shit away. You know, So it's real interesting, that dynamic. You know, It's another one of these things that seems ironic on the surface, but when you think about it, it makes total sense yeah. that when you get a president that's a Democrat, that's when civil liberties are really in danger. When you get a Republican that's a president, that's when –
0: Government you know the
1: the size of cool. government is like gonna go get, go ape shit. and historically there's a lot of examples of that as well so
0: yeah that's uh that's really puts things in perspective man uh, that's uh like that's stuff that I've thought but I've never actually like put into you know words <laughs> like that makes a ton of sense man um, yeah
1: I mean because like you said the Republicans aren't even writing Obama about this because they want it. <laughs> it's what they it's what they were campaigning for the whole time with, you know, Mittens with Romney. Bush and if they could get the, you know, Romney in there and all that. That's that was going to be like their campaign is, you know, take all civil li- all liberties away to keep us safe.
0: Yes. You know, you know what's interesting, man? Sometimes I think about the dynamic of what's going on within these parties like because, you know, there's there's guys that are like, man, I want to be that top guy. I want to be the president. I want to be I want to be that guy. And it's like it's such like a, it's such a um, it's 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 just weird, man. Like, I just think about that, man. Like, it's uh, it always takes me back to this, like Alan Moore quote, because it would be easy to just say, well, it's you know, it's the Illuminati controlling, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats. And, you know, but like, it's not. I just don't think so, man. It's just humanity. Like, it's just the, like, you know, Alan Morris had this great thing, this great quote about how he believes that there are many conspiracies and they all compete with one another because the fact is, is that humans are just kind of rudderless. Like when you don't, when you're not developing yourself and you're not like trying to like improve yourself, it's easy to just kind of run on like, just like just being greedy and just, you know, and I I don't know, like, I I think about that, that a lot, like the, um, like what makes us different in the sense of like us always trying to develop ourselves, like, you know what I mean? Like personal development, I I know for a fact, just by hearing you talk and hearing your podcast, that's an important part of your life. And, And I know it's an important part of my life, but there's a lot of people, man, that they just, they have opinions and they don't necessarily do the research to think them out. That's just they're just kind of parroting other people, and and it's very much. And they're just kind of selfish, and they don't even realize that they're selfish. Um, do, do you know what I'm saying?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what most people don't have any kind of moral compass or any kind of principles. Yeah. Like their life, their life isn't running on principles, no, and so. That leaves them rudderless, like you had said, or Alan Moore's term, or whatever. They are then can very easily be swept up in whatever is going to, you know, maybe benefit them. Like you mentioned, the greedy angle, or you know, a lot of getting getting approval from the tribe. You know, that's they get swept up and stuff like that, real easy because none of it's based on principles. But if you have principles to go back and say, you know what, my life, you know, you gave the Jane Odenning example of. Wanting to be a happy old man. So let's say that's your principle is, you know what? I want to be able to, when I'm old, I want to look back and say that I did everything. I, I'm going to be happy about the decisions I make. And of course that's going to be, if you, you put a lot of time into thinking about that and, and thinking about how every decision you make, every action you take each day, you know, is it falling into alignment with that goal you know there's going to be a lot of things that come into question you're going to be like hmm you know when i'm old am i going to be really happy about that i spent you know 20 hours a week watching sitcoms and dancing with the stars you know what i mean <laughs> or is it, that am I, or would or am i going to be feel a lot better if maybe i set some goals for myself and and try to really improve myself and um you know th- maybe these relationships aren't very satisfying to me and i just hadn't thought about it before but you know what? Maybe um, if if my goal is to be happy, I maybe I should change how I'm acting and either try to you know develop the skills to improve these relationships or find better relationships or whatever. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. it's it, ha- having a principle to base your life on, or, you know, having some kind of um, oh like a creed to say you know these this is what's important to me, and then really taking the time to think about. Your day. What? How do you spend your day? What are your actions? What are your thoughts? Are your thoughts contributing to you, you know, living according to your creed? Are your actions getting you to that? And I think that's kind of the difference. Some people are, are big about doing it explicitly. I was just listening to a guy today on uh, Kevin Costello, his podcast, which is really good, Freedom Loving. If you haven't checked it out, you should totally give that a shot sometime. Absolutely. But he was, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on who the guest name was, but this guy was talking about, he put his creed online and I remember like jotting it down. I'm like, okay, I got to go read that too. The- <laughs> but it has been something I've been, I've been thinking about and I haven't explicitly done it yet, but I've, I've been wanting to really kind of like develop my own, my own uh, bill of rights, if you will. You know, <laughs> I have the right to this. I have the right to be happy. I have, uh you know, the right to express my feelings, Absolutely. et cetera, you know?
0: Yeah. It's really important to pick a philosophy, man. And it's, it's like, you know, developing your worldview. Like I remember, um, man, I got, I got network marketing at a young age and I lost a bunch of money, but it really did help me like start to read books and think about improving myself. And, um, and I think like one thing I remember I was reading this book um, and this author uh, Tom Butler Bowden or Bowden he's this uh, this Australian guy he uh, writer I'm I, I'm friends with him on Facebook and I I friended him early on when I think his books were first coming out and I gotta been trying to get him originally he said he'd do the podcast a while back but I gotta reach out but then, anyways besides the point he um, he had this like he he did these fifty classics he did like fifty classics of psychology. Um, like say uh, I think it was like uh um prosperity and uh just kind of like self self help and like all these different things, spirituality classics, and there's all these books and it categorizes stuff. And like the the spirituality one, like, you know, he had like books from like Gandhi and um uh Nelson Mandela and like all these other people and he would like basically he'd kinda like take like excerpts from the book and he kinda quote it and then he kinda say Stuff about the author, pros and cons, and it was like a really kind of interesting like dialogue, and it was just kind of like his thoughts about these books, and like he's had them like translated in a bunch of different languages, and I think they're pretty popular over in Europe. But like something from these books that like from from that book that I realized was this like, you know, Mel- Nelson Mandela and and Gandhi weren't great men because they were just born that way. They were great men because they chose a set – certain set of values and a certain set of principles to live by and they lived by them. And that, that's what made them great. That's what made them um, fight oppression. I mean that's what made you know Nelson Mandela be able to sit in solitary confinement for years and not go crazy because he had these principles that he knew every day that he was in there for a purpose, not just for um, – he was in there for a purpose for himself. Like he was in there because he stood up for himself. Like there's this really good quote for him about from him, oh man, I just saw it. It was something about, uh, being, um, uh, like something about being in a society where my way of living is against the law. I will always be a renegade or something like that, man. I don't want to butcher it. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look it up, man. Um, it's, you know, and, and that's just kind of like the thing, like, you know, that's, that's what's important. And that's what, that's what, that's what guides us. Like you might not have all the principles and values that you know we might not have all that stuff set in stone yet but you know that I don't think you ever really do I think it's like a a continuous work like you're always trying to like put your compass to the test and you're always trying to figure out okay what's what's really for me you know what I'm saying
1: oh yeah yeah i mean this doesn't have to be once you write it down, then I can't change. You know, Steve Patterson does the podcast on universal healthcare. He can't change his mind on that then going forward, you know? (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, I, well, this is another thing that's interesting about doing podcasts is once you start talking about things, I mean, you're going to say stuff that's wrong or that even, even you will admit yourself that this was wrong. Oh, you know what? I said that, um, I totally, what you know f- was uh, thinking the wrong thing. I've, I, mean, it happens all the time. You know, you're like you're you're, you're saying things and then you, you go back and look. And you're like, you know what? I totally was crossing up two articles I read, and it, <laughs> it really wasn't smallpox that that guy had that died from back in 1937 or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just uh, you you end up making mistakes all the time, and that's another the interesting thing about podcasts for me that I've learned is I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make mistakes. And I'm not going to worry about that. The important thing is, is to just learn from those mistakes and and make corrections as you go forward and just own them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also just doing a podcast and having discussions with people that are um, intelligent and have opinions outside of the mainstream and the like, is going to get you thinking about a lot of these things, like your principles and help you to form them and and maybe you know, have you questioning some of the things you believe? Absolutely. So, yeah, you take it's off uh,
0: your glasses, and you put it on somebody else's, and that's right, like, right. Like, uh, like something you were saying earlier that I was thinking about. Like, you know, part of being a, a podcast host is you want to make it about your guests, and it like makes me think of uh, Stephen Covey's book. You know, seek to understand, not to be understood, and that's like that's something that like, being a podcaster's helped me help me do. That that quote, I found it by the way, um, by Nelson Mandela. When a man is denied the right to live the life he believes in, he has no choice but to become an outlaw. And I was like, man, that's like that's uh, it's kind of like where we're at in the United States right now. You know what I mean? Like that's where people like us kind of are, like in the sense of, uh, you know, man, it, it's it's interesting. Like, did you see yesterday how uh, in Denver that school, like the students walked out because the school board decided that they were going to edit out parts of history that that didn't make the u.s look good no
1: oh that's awesome
0: dude this lady though like oh man like i was like thinking like a lady who the person who championed this idea i was like really kind of does deserve to be locked in a cage (laughs) like in the sense of like man like you you can't try to control the way people think like uh you know like uh my friend uh my novelty uh, on Twitter, um, Andrew Miller. He's a he's a professor. He would said, "Man, I would never try to tell a teach uh, teach a student what to think. I would only try to help him in how he thinks." And it's like, and, and that's and that's so true. Like, so her whole thing was, um, you know, we don't want like it. It, it was so crazy. Like, uh, I gotta find this article, but basically, they're pretty much saying that they didn't they didn't want to teach civil disobedience. Um, or anything like that, like things that make like our, so pretty much it was just trying to make people, kids like they wanted to teach kids just to fall in line, never question authority, always appeal to authority. And it was just like, it was just disgusting. Like it, and it was, it's cool that the students decided to stand up and walk out of class. And then the superintendent said, I am totally a hundred percent for, Students being able to express themselves and, and, and stand up for what they believe in. But I just wish that they would stay in class while they're doing it. It's like, come on, (laughs) come on, you politician, you son of a bitch. Right? (laughs) But that's Uh like, that's like the world we live in, man. Like, I don't like, I know, um, your, your daughter doesn't go to public. She does go to public schools, but not really like, is she still in the Montessori school?
1: She is. No, it's a private school. There actually is a public Montessori school here, but it's on a lottery system to get in. And there's like, you know, a thousand people apply and, you know, each year and a hundred new ones get in kind of thing. But yeah, she's in a Montessori school and she loves it. She loves going to school every day. And she's like dragging me out the door in the morning. Like, dad, we're going to be late. Come on, let's go. You know? And yeah. And she totally is like, just, knocking it out of the park, like academically, you know, it's not like she's like going there and like playing and falling behind or whatever. It's like, she's going there and like enjoying learning. And she just recently took a, a standardized test at the end of her, um, at the end of third grade, she's in fourth grade. Now at the end of third grade, they had a standardized test. Now normally Montessori doesn't have testing or grades or any of that. It's like every lesson is till mastery. So like you basically your child gets straight A's cause they keep learning a subject Till they get an A in it, and then they move on. But um, at any rate, she took this. They they had the standardized tests at the end of the year for some reason, and it looked in my daughter, and like in every subject was like like her worst subject. She was like three years ahead <laughs> of where she should be. You know the the best one, she was like you know five ahead. You know, and and she's doing this like loving school. Not like you know, they're not getting her to excel by being hard asses and you know you need discipline and you really need to study this and you know we're gonna work you it's like no let's go in and have fun and you pick what it is you want to learn that's kind of like the the philosophy of Montessori is it's child driven the child determines what they want to study and so she because she gets to pick what she wants to study she really excels at it so um it's kind of like reminding me of a uh, That Diamond Age, you know that you you talked about with Daryl Becker. I haven't finished the book yet, so don't spoil it for me. I'm I'm in the middle of reading it right now. But when I get after I finish it, I'm gonna go back and listen to your you and Daryl's review of it. But for those who haven't haven't read it or listened to, um, you know your your book review in there, there's an artificial intelligence that it's basically it's in the form of a book that can talk to the the child or show words and pictures and things of that nature. But there's an artificial intelligence that's essentially the child's like governess or or teacher. And, but it's totally self-directed. The, the the book adapts to whatever the child is interested in, what questions the child asks. It remembers questions that she had asked previously and lessons it had taught previously and kind of builds on top of that. And it's all done. All of this teaching is done via stories and, and, and fun, you know, they're teaching lessons to the child and it, but it's totally self-directed by the child. And, you know, I was listening to that and I've been getting real excited about artificial intelligence actually, because I've been, um, me and Wes Bertram from the complete Liberty podcast, have been talking a lot about it. And we're probably going to do a little series, at least a couple episodes on artificial intelligence, but I'm, I'm really excited about the potential that artificial intelligence holds to enrich the human race. Yeah. So, so, you know, like this, a teacher, you know, you could have an artificial intelligence that's a teacher that can totally adapt to the child and be, you know, learn what the child likes to do, keep it fun. And this could happen and it be so far superior to, to, uh, you know, the schools we have now, everybody having like their own tutor, their own private teacher that customizes itself to that child and helps you know whatever style they learn best at it works with them. you know, i was sitting there thinking, just like a secretary, how handy it is to have a secretary. you know, just somebody is like, "Oh, i want to go um you know i I need to meet up with a this guy, could you you know make arrangements, get you know maybe get reservations for us at this restaurant or whatever and it's just a huge time saver, right and you know we want to go on vacation um well, if just think about. If everybody had their own secretary and it was just in your pocket, in your cell phone or whatever, I mean, this is going to come. I mean, eventually artificial intelligences within our lifetime are going to reach the point where they're at human intelligence or beyond. And then eventually that's going to get cheap enough because it just how the nature of technology that everybody's going to be able to afford it. And then you're going to see literally – I mean, that's going there's not going to be secretaries anymore because it's going to be far superior to a secretary because you, your secretary isn't in your pocket with you all day. Your secretary isn't there if, if you wake up at three in the morning and be like, "Oh shit, I need to talk to Bob about you know X, Y, and Z." Hey, um, could you remind you know you can just grab your secretary, grab your phone off the side of your bed, and be like, "Hey, um, remind me to talk to Bob about X, Y, and Z tomorrow." Just you know what I mean? And it's so it's, it's going to be vastly superior in to a secretary now, and everybody's going to have access to it.
0: It's going to be like Jarvis on the yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is coming and it, there's so many applications for it. I'm like, imagine having your doctor in your pocket and this yeah. is not, this is a doctor who knows every meal you eat and is monitoring you all the time. He's like, you know, um, Drew, they, uh, I've been noticing that when you eat, you know, when you, you're, you eat this certain amount of, of this, of carbs or you're getting this one nutrient or whatever, this, this, this one marker gets elevated. So let's, let's try cutting that back and see what happens as soon as just totally, it's going to be like doing tests on you all day long, every day and accumulate and you're going to have this awesome data. It's going to totally be able to fine tune your health and be, you know, it can, without you even having to worry about it, it could do that. It could just guide you and be like, Hey, you know what? I know what foods you like. Why don't you, um, prepare this meal or here I'll, I'll call in and have it prepared for you and delivered. And it just—you pick it up and you eat it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is you, yeah, you know my taste. This is totally awesome." You're like, "Well, you know what? This meal was customized to make sure that all of your nutrients for the day or for the last week are are keeping about where they need to be. You know, you're not getting too much of of the copper. You know, you're but you, but you're getting enough of it. You know, we're getting your magnesium and we're getting all these things, all your vitamin and minerals, all the stuff." It's going to be able. To, it would be able to do all of that while it could be completely seamless to you because it's tracking it, and you don't have to. And it's just telling you what foods to make, or it, you know, say, "Here's a recipe. I know this is one of your favorites. Go ahead and make this." Or, like I said, you know, just making it, having you know, calling in and putting an order in, and it just shows up for you. So, I mean, the the possibilities. I mean, it's like one thing after another. You know, it's like um, imagine having a a psychologist in your pocket. You know, one of my favorites, Nathaniel Brandon. Is is told us. I'm like, well, I could have Nathaniel Brandon in my pocket, and he could be sitting there the during the day. Hey, Chris, I noticed you got a little agitated, you know, when um, your colleague w- was saying that. Why don't we explore that a little bit? It can help you, you know, the, the self knowledge you could have by having Nathaniel Brandon in your pocket. I mean, people pay psychologists, I don't know what, hundred bucks an hour or more than that, to have that. one there. To, have one there that's monitoring you all the time. Really gets to know you, knows the people in your life.
0: Except it's to, just at, like a totally objective yeah really objective like uh ex- extension of yourself
1: well that's the thing is it it would be superior to having nathaniel brandon in your pocket because yeah. nathaniel brandon there's, there's, is nathaniel emotions. brandon and there's no yeah, emotions he's, involved it's it's just he's subjective so right right where this would be yeah you're right the, uh, the objectivity that this would be able to give you and it's totally coming it's i you know i mean barring a barring a um you know, like a, a man-made dark age of, you know, nuclear Holocaust kind of thing, something like that, that, um, some kind of existential threat, we're this, we're going to see this, you know, we're definitely going to see artificial intelligences that are as smart as humans or beyond in our lifetime. I don't know if it'll reach the point where everybody's got one in their pocket in our lifetime. I don't know how long it will take before it becomes cheap, but I think, I mean, just looking at how quick it is for things to become cheap. I I'm I'm betting it's not going to take long. I mean, the power that you can have in an iPhone now like 20 years ago yeah. was a supercomputer that took up three floors in a building. And you now have that in your pocket Absolutely. for like 100 bucks. You know what I mean? It's like that, wait, that was a freaking building. You know, yeah. that was a, 40 years ago, that was a city block.
0: You know. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. Um you should check out this movie called uh, Robot and Frank. It's uh, it's i I'm a big Franklin Joe fan. He's a sweet actor. And, uh, but he's like Franklin Joe is like this old, uh, he's like, it starts out and he's this guy that has Alzheimer's and it's like progressively getting worse. And so, but he's not at this stage, like he can still be on his own. But, um, one thing that like his daughter decides to do is get him a robot that cleans the house and cooks for him and everything. And then eventually, like, the robot becomes his best friend and helps him, like, remember things, like, what he's doing. And uh, he's, like, uh, (laughs) it's just cool. The robot eventually helps him plan this heist. And it's, like, and it's just, like, it always is just there to help him. And it's also kind of like Moon. I don't know if you saw Moon. And oddly enough, Kevin Spacey voices the robot in Moon and Robot and Frank. That was, like, something that always, like, kind of, You know, if you program a robot to help you or you program the intelligence to help you, it's always gonna help you. Like if you like instill like core principles in it. And it's um it's interesting, man. And and I and I and I see the like the counter argument of it is well what if that information gets to somebody else and that but yeah, but what if it doesn't? I mean what if, you know, that's just a risk that you have to take? Like people like Technology is just like anything; it's not it's not good or bad. It's what it's what we as humans how we use it, and and I think it's just um, you know, I th- I think it's uh, it's interesting, man, and, and I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Like, I think it would be great to have, you know, pretty much your your best friend <laughs> via artificial intelligence, in the sense that it it knows you better than it than you know you, and it can help you improve you and but you know the funny thing is is you know most people won't even know how to use it like i think about the internet a lot and i think about like we have all the knowledge in the world at our fingertips and what do most people use the internet for they they use it to stalk each other on facebook or Or porn yeah (laughs) porn (laughs) masturbate a bunch because we're apes like oh man with porn here we go porn and it's like and that's interesting too man um just the way, like, like the millennials, like, I'm at the, the beginning, pretty much, of the millennials. Um, and, like, because I, I think I, I got internet when I was 12, but I didn't have high-speed internet until my senior year of high school. Like, I didn't have, like, cable modem or anything. I was still up on that dial-up. And, uh, and, and like, what was interesting, though, is, like, kids, like, like their access to pornography at a young age... It's, um, I think the good thing about that is it's going to force parents to like have that uncomfortable conversation with their kids before they go to the internet and they look at porno and they think, oh, this is what sex is. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, like, so there's two ways to look at it. Porno is bad because it teaches people bad things about, it teaches kids the wrong way about sex or porno is actually good. Because it forces you as a parent to teach your kids about sex before it does. And it's and it's like, you know, it's not really good or bad, but it keeps you honest in a sense. Like like that like I, I think about that because my mom, she um she studied like human sexuality in college. I think she got um Holy shit. Yeah, like she got this. (laughs) That's kind of weird. I mean, well, I think about growing up. (laughs) Yeah, my mom had conversations with me about sex at a very young age, and Mm. the uh, like. I remember it was like kind of like you know we'd always look at books together, and like she had this human sexuality book, and that's how I learned a lot about sex. And I was very responsible with sex. Like I was very responsible in the sense of like, you know, I mean, I mean, there other reasons too, like. And then I'm going to tie this all together and this is like kind of a weird fact but like like I I was like I held out like for a long time before I lost the V card. Like I think it was like it was at the end when I was 21. And then it was just one of those things that I realized that like me not having sexual relations for such a long time was was causing more harm than good for my love life and the sense of like there was like this sense of awkwardness about me with girls because it was like there was just this I didn't know how to handle myself because I didn't have experience and in certain areas, and so I didn't always know how to act appropriately. And um, and I don't know, man. I mean, it, it could just that could just be my view of it. But um, but I, it, like I I was very cautious because like at a young age I learned about STDs, and my mom was a social worker with AIDS and HIV patients. So you know, I mean, it, it was different for me. So I don't treat like porno the way a lot of people treat porno like i i probably like to just to be honest because that's what podcasts are all about probably still do watch it too much but i don't know but anyways that's a little bit that's a little bit a lot of personal information there chris so
1: (laughs) yeah i know that's that's interesting we I'm trying to. to I, I can't imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to imagine the uh, the life of of a twenty of a 21 year old man. That's a virgin. You know, a virgin. Yeah, that's.
0: <laughs> Dude, yeah, and I had plenty of opportunity to hook up with girls. Like, it, oh yeah, I mean, once I got to a certain age, and girls found out I was a virgin, it was like a mission for them to take my virginity. It oh, was, I can bet. Yeah. Oh, it was it was interesting, man. And then went I finally uh you know I lost virginity to this girl I was at the time buying marijuana from and uh <laughs> <laughs> true love true love uh. and it was weird like she really like wanted it to be this casual thing and it was my first time and I was really uncomfortable so obviously I didn't handle that situation with the 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 best uh the most emotional intelligence with the but I mean, like, man, but I'm not, I don't regret it. Like, I mean, it's like, it. it's shaped who I am today. Like, it's, uh, it's interesting, man. Like, it's just, it's interesting to look back on life, man. It's interesting to like, to like, think about like something you said earlier when you hit rock bottom and like, and I think like, man, you know, when I started the podcast too, man, I'd pretty much just hit rock bottom. Like I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do, but it forced me to realize, okay, well, what were your dreams? What were your interests like before? You know, you just worked this crappy retail job in sales and just drank way too much and blew your money on booze and partying. And you know what? What was important to you? And I was like, oh yeah, financial freedom, freedom in general. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like it, it's good to it's good to think about things. Like I was I was sharing something with uh, this guy the other day about like how I got to where I am with my job because like I'm in sales and I didn't. I didn't go to school for sales. It was literally, I just, like, I, I've always taken, like, jobs as learning opportunities to learn skills, whether it be me starting out as, like, in, in Steak and Shake, to me becoming a lifeguard, to being an RA in college, to to becoming a, you know, uh, doing the corporate fitness thing. Um, and it's just like, man, like, I've learned so many skills about dealing with people. And that was always another to always work hard because I didn't want... Like I knew that like my work was my signature and like I got jobs, like things like my, my opportunities have always come from me putting everything into my previous opportunity. You know what I mean?
1: So I guess you would get job, one job would lead to another is what you're saying. You would, in the course of learning skills and meeting people and and making like networking and connections and stuff, it would naturally lead into another opportunity
0: absolutely man and it's like and that's and i feel like that's like what i've kind of done with with the podcast it's like just applied it to that like try to like be respectful to all my guests and network with them and then through them i've met another met other cool guests or you know what i mean and i think it's like i feel like everything ties together there's this balance and it's just like you know it's like it's just kind of like that your work of life and it's and it kind of goes back to like talking to Gino Denning about the art of living and being a happy old man. You know what I mean? Like always like trying to glean back instead of just saying like hating yourself and being like, man, I was a fucking idiot back then. But just saying, <laughs> you know what? Right. I learned a lot about what I don't want to do, who I don't want to be and what's really not for me. And, and I'm so grateful that I learned that because if I wouldn't have learned that maybe I'm still lost. And maybe I'm still looking for my path. So it's like, it all comes back to just loving yourself and like really learning to appreciate yourself and learning to like, and wanting to be, enjoy the time you spend with yourself. If that makes sense. And I don't mean that from like an ego perspective at all. It's like, you know, I'm really happy with who I am. I'm really happy that I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like people, people like to be around me and stuff like that. And it's, and I, and I'm not saying that about me but in particular even though I do feel that way but I feel like people need to feel that way like people need to to just if people like themselves like really like themselves and respected themselves we wouldn't like there'd be the world would be a way better place and it kind of goes back to like um nonviolent communication and the internalization of nonviolent communication like that last podcast that you did with Daryl and like and I didn't and it was interesting because like when I had Daryl on um, about the diamond age, like we talked about that. And he asked me like, so what is, you know, where have you come in your studies with nonviolent communication? And cause he said he'd internalize it. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I really did too. And I kind of like go on this thing about how I've internalized it. And, and, you know, and it, and it's, it, it's, it's really interesting. Like I was thinking about this at work today. Like so many people value themselves based on their career or where they sit in their company or their job. And, or
1: did, do they have a six pack or do they, um, you know, all of that?
0: Yeah. Do they like, have
1: a hot wife? You know, do they have a sexy boyfriend?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a superficial thing. Like, in a, and it's in a, in a, and I talk about that because like, I really, you know, working in Toledo um, for Verizon, you know, making 65 grand a year, man, I was at the top of the food chain in a lot of different ways in Toledo. Like I wasn't the top 1%. But I was making a good living. I didn't. I didn't have to work in a factory. Um,
1: that's I, good money in Toledo. Oh, that's really good. The money. Standard of leave, living is uh, pretty lo- pretty cheap. My rent and, was uh, like
0: four fifteen a, a month, and with utility. I was maybe paying like six hundred bucks a month total living expenses.
1: But probably had a pretty fat apartment at six hundred.
0: Well, it was all right, man. It was pretty nice. It was a nice one bedroom. It was. Uh, it was over in uh, near Holland like it was it was right next to St. John's High School if you know or if you remember oh, okay. where that is airport airport highway near the TGI Fridays the one TGI Fridays in Toledo <laughs> yeah
1: i live just off of airport highway right by um oh, what's that just up the road from UT oh off Door Street and uh, what's that that oh, uh, Rich neighborhood
0: uh, uh, uh oh i don't old to, to the nor-
1: to the northwest there's that Rich neighborhood in Toledo but Ottawa Hills yeah, Ottawa Hills. I lived like right next to not in Ottawa Hills, but right next to it. But yeah, my rent was like 350. Yeah. For it was a one bedroom apartment. And that wasn't like anything special, but I'm like three fifty. Yeah.
0: I'm, like, holy shit. Yeah, dude. I had yeah. a washer and dryer in my apartment. I had it going on. And uh and then it's like, man, what did I do though? All I did was get drunk and think I was better than everybody else because I didn't have to struggle. Everybody was talking about how much the economy sucked and how oh, they needed a job and they needed work and I'm like, dude, I'm doing well. Like I'm doing really well in this bad economy. Like I'm in the face of like a bad economy and I'm, and I'm, and I'm excelling. And, and instead of like just being grateful for that, like I had this, uh, oh fuck dude. It just stopped. Rec- my, my, oh, never mind. I thought my, I thought my stuff stopped recording. Sorry to name this podcast I can it just- come to a screaming halt. I like. No, yeah, I, I, think. I can I send
1: like, you mine if you. If it's oh no, a problem no, no! Yours?
0: No, it's recording, man. I just. Uh, it was just one of those moments. I was like, oh man, and then like, you're.
1: <laughs> That's my opportunity to ridicule you for <laughs> ruining the podcast. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's like one of those things. As a podcast, like you get caught up in a conversation. You're like, all right, let me make sure this is being recorded. But anyways, like, like I was there. Like I, I saw my value on my job. And then I got I got sucked in at Verizon, man. When I was at Verizon, man, they do a great job of making you think that you really have it going on. And it's like they really suck you in to that, just to, like, keeping that business going and, like, to building somebody else's dream. And everybody sucked in all the way up to the CEO and all the the top guys that are just making those stupid bonuses. And that's all they care about is they're just a corrupt bonus. It's not really about, like, uh it's not really about building a business. It's about forging the numbers to make it look like you are. So you can get those bonuses. Um, and it's, uh, and yeah. And so like now, you know, I went from that was, you know, I got off a conversation with my boss pretty much saying, Hey, go fuck yourself, man. You know, I don't really, you're disrespectful to me and you know, I don't need you in my life to then getting a call saying, Hey, uh, we've rescinded your offer. And it was like, Oh man. What am I gonna do? And I was in shock and I thought I was like, What do you mean I failed my background check? And sure enough, I failed my background check because I had a public urination. And uh, and then it was like, oh man, so it was like it was gut check time. And I remember I freaked out and then I, I didn't know what I was gonna do. And I remember hanging out with my buddy when we went and we went and, uh, we went and saw um, we went and saw this, this band Purity Ring. There's this cool, cool little like indie group. And then, uh, I decided the day I was supposed to start that job. I'm like, well, I've been studying positive effects of psilocybin. Let's eat and eighth the mushrooms. And, uh, I went in there with like a bunch of questions and I was like, I want to get these answered. And, and I, and I dealt with a lot of stuff and I'm not trying to say that's what, how everybody should try to solve their problems at all. Like I, I really looked into it. I fasted and it was like, I've never had addiction issues, um, in the sense of like I don't – I just use stuff to party. Like I use it with a purpose but like it like it helped me realize what was actually important to me and it helped me like get on this path and it helped me like – And who knows? Maybe it was really me. I mean I'm not trying to say that there was anything powerful but I don't know, man. It helped me put things in perspective. It helped me deal with things that I was ignoring. It made me take a really hard look in the mirror if that makes sense.
1: Mm. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, sometimes – If you're doing drugs or alcohol, I mean, a lot of times it just like deadens the pain or whatever, but it can certain, certain drugs, certain alcohols can remove your defenses and leave you where you're, you're having to stare them down. And if you can turn that into a positive, but, you know, say, Hey, look, this is something that I haven't been dealing with. It's been underneath the hood, having an effect on my life but i've not been dealing with it and so therefore it's it's like it's had control over me now i'm aware of it i can now take that control back i can now process it deal with it and it's in the open and now it's no longer my puppet master and so then you can you know like we were talking about principles earlier i can goals you can look at that and say okay is this you know? Is this affecting me from reaching those goals and living by my principles, and then you know, make decisions from there on how to correct that or whatever you know, heal those wounds.
0: Absolutely, man, and and I, and I think, um, yeah, I I don't think that alcohol or any any you know drug is a bad thing. It's just the way people use them. Like if you're using this to to cope with your problems. Then that's one thing. But if you're doing it to like kind of like treating it as with respect, um, I think it's something different. Like if you don't respect what it can do to you, then it's not going to respect you. And and it's it's just kind of one of those things. Like, you know, you can, you know, it's <laughs> the another interesting thing I think about is like our culture and how much it is like a strong alcohol culture. And it's like, man, like how many victories can you remember? Like from being drunk, like, man, I've so- <laughs> made that decision. Like, you know what I mean? Versus like, right. Like, man, whenever I like, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big legalization advocate. Like I'm a big, like, I mean, especially here in Ohio, man, like legalizing hemp, even just hemp, like, let's say not the, not the, the not the, the non THC based hemp. Um, We have like some of the best farmland in the world. And instead, you know, we have this Monsanto corn, anything else like that. But, like, you could grow hemp. We could... I mean, here's the thing, too. It's like, you know, everybody wants to, you know, this whole climate change thing. Like, oh, carbon, you know, our breathing is taxing everything. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, the pollution's bad. The climate is definitely changing. But it's like, you know, you're saying, you know, you want to save trees, but then you you don't champion the idea of, of legalizing hemp. I mean, you know, the reason why hemp is illegal was because a tree farmer wanted to take advantage of his tree farms and make paper from that and make the other thing illegal. Like that was one of the reasons why. And, and that's, and that's kind of interesting too, but it's like, um, you know, I've never seen a group of people that were, that were under the influence of THC from smoking cannabis, never seen them get in fights. I've never seen them, um, break things. And just because they thought it would be a good idea, like you don't, you don't devolve. Like for me, it's always made me more really introspective and it's always made me like more sensitive. And sometimes I do get a little too paranoid. Sometimes I do overthink things. And then I come out of them like, Oh man, I was, man, I was really going down a rabbit hole there. I was really way off, but it was still fun to think about. And it's, it's just interesting, man. Like, it's interesting that like we become this weird culture. Like I worked in the bar scene for so long, like cops were there. Um, Paid by private bars, and the cops didn't want to really arrest people because they don't get paid overtime to write their reports. And but sometimes they'd have to, and like it was like so much trouble. And it's like, man, I always just thought, like, whenever I'd see drunks, I thought it when I was in uh, like I decided not to drink one night when I was in Putin Bay. And like, did you ever go to Putin Bay when you're at Toledo? You know, I never did. <laughs> All right, so that is a crazy island place. It's like Las Vegas and Ohio, except there's no gambling <laughs> like I've
1: heard so many stories from people I know that went there, but yeah I, like yeah. it
0: goes on in Putin Bay stays in Putin Bay, and I remember we had this golf cart because it's just it's just an island. We're driving around, and I'm just looking at all these drunk people trying it's like the apocalypse at night, like the cops pretty much <laughs> stop working, and there's people just looking for places to stay. And there's like people that get in fights. I mean, bad fights. Like people get messed up, and you then there's like just a random drunk just walking somewhere he has no idea where he's going because he's so messed up. Maybe he drank a roofie. You don't know. Like he's on he's on some mixture of drugs, and it's like man, like you would not see that in like a in a in a cannabis culture. Like you don't see that stuff, and it's just it, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting, man. And I, don't, I I should stop saying I don't know because clearly. I have some idea if I talk about it, but, um, it's just, it's interesting to think about our culture and to think about us as humans and our interactions and how we, we take a plant and we demonize it. But then it's, it's like, it's, it's just, and it kind of goes back to our like our political discussion, like it always has to do with corporate interests. Like somebody has something to gain from demonizing it. Somebody has something to gain from making it illegal. And just like the whole idea of regulations What exactly is a regulation? Well, a regulation is pretty much just some corporation who partnered up with a lobbyist. And he said to this lobbyist, hey, tell that politician we need to make sure this law is in place so we can protect our money. I mean, that's what what a regulation is. And it's like, well, that's not regulated. We need to regulate this. Well, you know, that's the nice thing about alcohol. It's regulated. It's run through the state. So pretty much, yeah, you know, so bootleggers aren't doing that. So, yeah, I mean – the nice thing is, you know, less people are going to get sick from bunk alcohol, but the state's getting their cut, which is more important to the state. So, um, anyways, yeah, I'll,
1: I'll, right. I'll give my, this is some, one thing I've never really talked about on the air. But for marijuana, yeah, I mean, you could talk about how, you know, you don't have the angry potheads. You know, you could talk about how it's, uh, my understanding is, I've not really researched it, but my understanding is it's not nearly as bad for your health. Yeah. As as alcohol is, you know, alcohol destroys your liver and things like that, especially if you're eating the alcoholic making or I'm sorry, eating marijuana like brownies and the like cuz inhaling smoke is not good for you, but yeah. if you if you if you eat it or um you get the THC pills or whatever um it's it's not nearly as bad for your health as alcohol is, but the worst thing about you know this um prohibition against marijuana is the people that are in prison, it's like you said
0: Nonviolent offenders. Who's,
1: well, you, you said you know somebody 's making money off of this. Prisons are big, big business, yeah. and that 's the big reason it, there's there 's tons of money being made off of people being in prison, and the, you know the u s has the most imprisoned population in the world per capita, and it's it 's the vast majority like over fifty percent are nonviolent offenders they which is mostly drugs. And, you know, and, um, there's a few people that didn't pay their taxes, but between that people that are in there for drugs and, uh, not paying their taxes. I mean, it's over 50%. And I mean, we're talking about just millions of people, you know? And so, I mean, that's, you know, the prisons are brutal, you know, the stuff that, you know, goes on in there and families being broken up, you know, with their mom or dad being taken away because they chose to get high instead of having a drink. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, you know. Yeah, so you it's, it's,
0: it's domestic violence isn't really coherent with with cannabis smoking or cannabis use. It's,
1: well, if anything, it's it's going to like send you in the opposite direction, where like alcohol might make you more more likely to go out, haul off and you know beat your kid or beat your wife. With cannabis, you're like, yeah, fuck it. I, that would require me getting off the couch. Yeah. <laughs> I, like look, I'm, couch really, pretty-
0: I'm really fascinated right now by this hoodie and this hood over my head. I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm going to stay here with this hood on my head. You guys do you. We'll deal with this tomorrow when I'm not feeling like this.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? This couch feels really fucking good right now. Yeah. Man,
0: I think I'm just going to keep sitting here. This couch so. and I got these blankets on me and this pillow. Man, I feel amazing right now. I just don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's the truth and it's – um. It is big business and, and, you know, nonviolent crimes. And, you know, and it, and it makes me think about the NFL right now, man. Like the NFL is like a reflection of our societal views. So the guy who immediately gets suspended for the season is the third time nonviolent pot smoker. Josh Gordon, you're done for the year. You are so stupid. He's so stupid. How could a guy who makes millions of dollars, why couldn't he just give up green? Why couldn't he do that? Why couldn't he give up green? Ray Rice knocks his wife unconscious, drags her dead looking body out of an elevator, and gets a two-game suspension, right? And it's and then and then the video comes out of him knocking his wife out, and they're like, Oh, we're gonna suspend him indefinitely. So a couple things there. Number one, if I'm Ray Rice, I'm suing the NFL. Number two, um, Roger Goodell is like, oh, I never saw that. And then the police are like, oh, yeah, you did, man. We sent that to you. We sent that back to you back in April. And then it's like, man, Roger Goodell makes $45 million a year for a nonprofit company called the NFL. Like I didn't even know it was nonprofit until this week, man. And that that blows my mind. And And then more stuff comes out. Adrian Peterson beats his kids. He beat his kids so bad she had to take him to the emergency room three days later and he still had those welts. And he's like, oh, I'm not a child abuser. And it's like, yeah, dude, you you, you definitely are. Like kids, you know, that's – you know, one thing, like I'm not for spanking and that's – like it's a different debate. I mean but, you know, if if you do believe in spanking, that's fine. But I doubt that's what you believe in. Like I doubt that that's what – you know, taking a switch and beating the shit out of a four-year-old kid who has no idea why you're beating him with a switch, by the way. Like maybe if you weren't such a bad father and you actually had a rapport with your child, you could have just had a conversation. Like that was my immediate thought. And then it's like, okay, then this then this other this other NFL player comes out with domestic violence. So now like shit is really gonna get stirred with the NFL. And like the NFL has been like this good old boy network that has been living under living under like nobody has known the bullshit that went down, much like the shit in college football, the stuff in the SEC that's still gonna come out. Like the SEC apparently it's so closed lipped. Like I was listening to like uh, Charles Robinson and uh, the other guy from Yahoo that broke all those stories um, about, like, the Big Ten and um, and the U and all that. And they said it's so hard in the SEC because nobody talks because it's such, like, a good old boy network down there. And that's kind of like how the NFL is. And it's, oh, the other person I forgot about, Jim Irsay, trust fund baby billionaire Jim Irsay, right? Like, never had to work a day in his life. Like, he gets caught with a bag... Filled with oxycotton, man, and whatever other drugs, in a in a brown paper bag filled with thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, there's nothing mysterious about that. Gets a misdemeanor and a six game suspension. Why? Because he's a billionaire. That's the way our justice system works, if that's what you want to call it. So, yeah, I think it's it's interesting, man. I mean, it just shows kind of the NFL. I feel like this year has showed a great. Has done a great job of showing the contradictions of society, if that makes sense, of of the U.S. as society, um, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the whole Adrian Peterson thing. The guy's got something like I don't know, five kids with five different women, or something like this. Yeah. And his defense for beating the shit out of his kid is, well, you know, I'm not doing anything that my dad didn't do to me, and I turned out all right. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you've got five different kids with five different women.
0: Just because you're a well, millionaire in the NFL and you're a good yeah, just because you
1: could fucking run with a ball, you know, yeah. and hold onto it while people hit you, that means you turned out all right. I mean, that's the only reason you have money is because you can run with a fucking ball, yeah. and I, I'm guessing that's the only reason why you're saying you turned out all right. Because I don't see anything else in your life that is um, you know admirable. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, And it's like I said before, people are judging their life. It's not based on principles. It's based on all this stuff that doesn't matter. Like, do I make a lot of money? Do I have a hot wife? Do I have a six pack? That kind of shit. And rather than on principles. And so when they say, oh, you know, I my dad beat the shit out of me and I turned out all right they really think that's true because they don't have principles to look back and and evaluate gee did did i really turn out alright or do i have some issues they're not even aware of who their puppet master is you know of the the issues they have going on in their subconscious that are pulling their strings so yeah i guess it, you know the the whole point of that is these uh they need to do more drugs i guess (laughs) because you were saying you're saying that they do drugs and they will uh discover who they really are (laughs) i
0: think i think it's more they just need introspection man like they need some introspection they need to look in the mirror they need to like here's the thing with fame man i mean like that movie broke um that that document that 30 for 30 broke is like a, a classic example about you know you give somebody money who has no development like look like Giving giving poor people money doesn't fix their problems. Like they have money issues because of their relationship with money. Like they have a bad relationship with money. And I'm not trying to say like – and I'm not trying to say if if you – I mean look, like I man, I struggled last year. I really, really struggled like in between those jobs. I mean like I, I made very little money and I got, barely got by. I owe a bunch of creditors right now. And I'm not saying this to, like, make people feel sorry for me. I'm just saying this to say, like, this next thing I'm going to say, I'm not trying to sound judgmental at all. Like, what I'm trying to say is, like, if you give a poor person money, like, like money money doesn't solve your problems. Like, money gives you options. And, like, financial freedom and the idea of financial freedom, like, that's what it's so interesting about me. It, like, for me is like, you know, like that, that relationship with money, you know, you have to have a good relationship with it. You cannot let money be, be your master. Like my friend, uh, Andrew, I was talking about like, uh, I'm going to steal some of his thunder here. Cause it's a conversation we had. He, he always like, like he doesn't teach in the classroom anymore. And he was saying, you know, when he did though, he asked us, you know, he'd ask students, you know, why are you here? Like, what's your purpose for being here? Why do you want to go to school? And this lady said, well, to to get money so he's like so you're here just to get money she's like yeah isn't that what life's all about and it's like man no it's not like look i I definitely want to have money like i'm not trying to say that like I, th- I always feel like zig ziglar said it best like money's not everything but neither is oxygen um like it's something that is required for you to live unless you you know you live in the zeitgeist movement and you're on one of those communes which is fine but um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to throw in that stab there, but anyways, like the whole point. What I'm saying though is like you know, there's there's more to life than money, and I feel like you know, you a lot a lot of professional athletes don't grow up from good homes. Like they don't like that was their out of their bad environment, and a lot of times they don't take the time because things happen so fast. They don't take the time to think about you know, okay, what what was my life like? Like why why you know, what are my motivations? And it kind of goes back to that not internal nonviolent communication. Like, what are your motivations? You know, what are my needs and desires? What is, you know, all those, all the points of nonviolent communication. And, and, and and I think, you know, that's the introspective part, man, or, or taking, you know, the trivium method and applying it to yourself and like looking internally with it. And, and I think like really internalizing that stuff. And I think that's, that's that's where like that's where the like people fall off that's where people um, that's why people make millions of dollars and they end up being broke because it, there's no then it goes back to what you were saying there's no moral fiber there's no there's nothing that's guiding them. what's guiding them is like well, I'm still popular um, people still think I'm awesome they wear jerseys with my name on it you know i'm i'm'm I'm, I'm part of the show and it's like they don't realize like how fast you go into something like the NFL. Even you can get be at the high, but it doesn't take long for you to be at the low. It doesn't take long for people to stop caring about you. It doesn't take long for people to get excited to watch you fail. And it's, it's, you know, and and I think like I doubt many athletes, professional athletes in the NFL really think about that, really think about like, hey, I'm popular now, but what's going to happen? I mean, even look, I mean, we're OSU fans, man. Like, look what happened to Maurice Claret. I mean look like Maurice Claret made some mistakes, right? But uh I mean did you see um did you see the thirty for thirty Youngstown boys, by the way? I did, yeah. That was so good, man. That was so good. And man, I got on the Claret hating bandwagon fast. I was like, we don't need him. Blah blah blah. I mean, that dude won see that national championship, man.
1: Oh yeah, there's there is no way Ohio State gets a national title in two thousand two without Maurice Claret.
0: No, I mean the way he stripped that ball from that interception.
1: Well, they wouldn't have gone 14-0 and 0 no, without him. No, no. they wouldn't have even been in the national title game because they won so many games that they just squeaked <laughs>
0: by. It, man, it was like, let's ride Maurice. And, and that was interesting too. Like It was clear that Trestle stood up for um, Terrell Pryor and them and hid stuff for whatever he did. Um, and I don't know how much was that, even him hiding that stuff, but you know, he was protecting them because he clearly didn't feel like he did a good enough job protecting Maurice and 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 he, he kind of alludes to that in that documentary. And, um and, and I think like that, it, it just kind of goes to that, man. Like a lot of these dudes, like, I mean, like, and to go back to your point, like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Like I got five different moms, but it doesn't matter. Cause I got millions of dollars. I guarantee that's what Adrian Peterson's thinking. I'm the best running back in the NFL. Why does that matter? And it's like, Dude, your life, I mean, there's more to your life than the NFL, man. I mean, there's more to your life. I mean, you're you still have to be somebody after the NFL. I mean, like, it's it's just kind of weird, man. I mean, it, it's it's weird the way like our, our culture in the magic box of television can just chew people up and spit them out, man. Like you look at like Charlie Sheen, man, I mean, like that dude is making so much money doing that awful show and then one time man it just he just snapped man he started too much cocaine too many prostitutes whatever it might be man and he looked the beast in the eye and said fuck you and the beast chewed him up so fast and spit him out and everybody was making fun of charlie sheen and tiger blood and it's like man he's just a dude he's just a guy and it's like man like people are so fast to just Take glory in other people's failures, like it's and it's people that they don't even know. Like they don't know Charlie Sheen. Like I'm not. I'm gonna admit it, man. When people are shitty to me and I see them take an L, I'll be like, Yeah, fuck you. You were shitty to me. And maybe that's not the best attitude. But I mean, I'm sure we've all been guilty of that. But somebody you don't know, like Charlie Sheen, and just hating him, and it's just like he's such an idiot. Blah blah blah. And it's 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 interesting to me, man. It, it goes back to the tribalism. It goes back to like it goes back to, um, it just goes back to like, you know, who's our master? And people, like, people really do want to have a master, man. People don't want to bet on themselves. People don't want to um, take responsibility for themselves. And and I think that's kind of like the the awesome thing about the whole, you know, liberty movement, or just kind of this this world that's on the internet of voluntarism and. And this, like, kind of revolved around, like, you know, personal growth and self-development, man. Like, there's a lot of cool people out there that are saying, no, like, please take responsibility for yourself. Like, that's what being an anarchist is. And, like, you know, whenever people think of anarchy, they think that, you know, we just want to spray paint, you know, maybe do Tyler Durden type shit. Which, uh, you know, is still, like, Fight Club still a great movie. But, um, And there's some interesting ideas, but like, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about like, no, like I want to like, I want to, I want to live life on my terms based on my values, based on my standards. Nobody else's, you know, I don't respect the magic um, of law and, you know, they wave that wooden gavel and there it is. It's a law. It's magical. You go in a cage now. If you if you sell raw milk you 're going in a cage we 're going to take a machine gun we 're going to intimidate you and your family. You know what i mean i mean it's it's just one of those things, and it 's like you know no that's that's not for me man that's you know why 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 do you have to tell me what 's best for me? I think I know what 's best for me. I love me, I respect myself, and I know what 's best for myself um, anyways well, I'm getting off my soapbox there, Chris Your turn
1: <laughs> you know I agree with you, except for the you know. If, if you're selling raw milk, then I mean, clearly, yeah, that then you're deserved to go into a cage and you know, get anally raped. You know, I mean, that's crossing the line right there. If you're selling raw milk,
0: absolutely. So, Fuck I those mean, people, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, but um, I, I should probably get going here pretty soon. Me too, but man. I did want to. I was just
0: thinking, man, I, I had a lot of fun talking to you, man. Uh, yeah, you I I, I,
1: w- I wanted to close up with uh, uh some some thoughts on what you just said though, and if you'll bear with me for like three or four minutes here absolutely so the thing about making these changes and getting outside the mainstream and you know really evaluating your life and and making changes and looking to see who's my puppet master who's really running my life that's there's a great book from pete gerlach it's called who's really running your life and it's about confronting, uh, you know, doing some self work and confronting your, your false selves. And, um, the, the thing about that is, is initially it kind of sucks. Initially there's, it's painful, you know, I mean, there's a reason why people are medicating themselves with drugs or cheesecake or, you know, beers and stuff like that. It's they're, they're deadening the pain. You know, And they're trying – doing all they can to distract themselves to look at these things that in the short term are going to cause them some discomfort. They're doing everything they can to stay away from discomfort. And this stuff, it's a little uncomfortable at first. And when you start challenging these things and like learning ideas of liberty and you start talking about them to your friends, it gets pretty uncomfortable real fast. You're like real all excited about it and you're like, whoa, what, what's all of this hate back I'm getting, you know? And, um, it kind of fucks with your life in them in the beginning. And it, I, that's why so many people don't do it. They get caught up in just, Oh, well, the tribe says that I should have money. So I'm going to try and get money. Oh, the tribe says, you know, um, I, I'm a big badass because I can carry a ball. So I must've turned out all right or whatever. And they're not going to look at any of this other. Stuff that would would cause them some discomfort and and challenge anything because that's, that's uncomfortable and that's hard. And what happens is you kind of need to hit rock bottom to come out of that. And so when I say rock bottom, I'm defining rock bottom as the point where you've, you're in so much pain that you have to change. You're like, okay, this sucks, this sucks too bad. I've got to do something different. I don't know what it is. I've got to do something different. You know, that happened for me in 2008. It wasn't like I was strung out on heroin and like, you know, spending all my money at, at uh, gambling or in whorehouses or anything like that. It wasn't anything nearly that dramatic, but I was in a lot of pain. And for me, I reached the point where that rock bottom point, which is the point where I said, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I've got to make some changes. And, Go back, going back to Pete Gerlach, who I just mentioned he he talks about how basically people. I mean, it's pretty much by definition, people will not change in their life until they hit rock rock bottom. And it's it's real interesting if you try to talk to people about these things and encourage them to change, they don't want to hear want to hear it. I mean, it's pretty much it's only effective, at least in my experience, I've only had any effect on anyone who was had already hit rock bottom and said, you know what this shit sucks. I need to change. And we're looking for answers. And at that point, I've been able to help those people out. But people that I could see going down a path that wasn't so hot, that weren't, um, you know, they weren't going to look back on their life as an old man and, and be able to say they were happy with the decisions they made, trying to get them to change when they had not hit that point yet. It's an exercise in futility, you know? So um at any rate, that's my spiel. I really should get going, but um.
0: yeah, man, we'll have to do this again, man. That was that was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, dude, I could talk to you for hours, Chris. That was great. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great good. Time, yeah. um, well, anyways, uh, go to both the sample hour and choice conversations. Rate and review us on iTunes. We that helps us out a lot, man. We like to know you listen. We like to know that you enjoy what 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 we do with our with our time and what we share. And, um, yeah, so go to that. Um, you want to add anything else like that, Chris?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess just for choice conversations, if you're iTunes users, I'm there. Uh, if not, the easiest thing to do is just Google choice conversations. All the first four or five links should all be me. Um, it's not choiceconversations.com is the reason I say that. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I'm also on, um, the Reboot Your Kids podcast. And that one is
0: rebootyourkids.com. That's a good podcast. That, That's a really yeah. good podcast, man. They're both yours yeah. is too, but I just want to say most of the podcasts you're a part of, Chris, are pretty good. So keep going, sorry.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, that one's that one's more parenting focused where choice conversations is just whatever I feel like talking about that evening. <laughs> <So> <laughs> this this one'll fit right in. Yeah, so it's it's a variety hour there. But yeah, yeah, no, check it out. And like, um, like Drew said, you know, I'm not asking for donations. I'm not charging for the the stuff I I give out. So um, the best thing you can do for me is, you know, give me an iTunes review and and share this with your friends on social media, tweet it out. And that's, how um if you want to thank me that's the best
0: way to do it so are you on the twitters chris are you on twitter
1: you know what i need to i'm on facebook and um that's pretty much it but I, i've i been meaning to and just it hasn't been a priority and so i haven't set it up yet but
0: we'll do it the choice, but yeah. con- at choice con- well i don't want to say it. Want some asshole steal it but anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right well hey man uh let's uh let's do this again soon um also check out chris on the sample hour um there's a couple. It has its own feed, but I've been posting them on my feed, too. The Buckeye Leaf podcast or LeafCast. If you're a fan of college football, man, him and Andy do a great job of breaking down OSU, um, especially if you're an OSU fan. Um, and if you don't like sports, it's still pretty entertaining to listen to. So, um, anyways, man, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to, to sit down and talk to me. We've been trying to make this work for a couple weeks. But, um, yeah. Um, anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it
1: yeah absolutely all right take care my man take care bro